In the name of the Father and the Son and God's Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Well, as you know, last week we began a a series in which we're thinking together about Moses, uh, the great liberator of his people. And we began last week with the call of Moses at the burning bush. And God revealed that unbeknownst to Moses, God had been at work in his life, shaping and molding him from the very beginning, getting him ready for this very purpose. It occurs to me how much of our lives we spend so caught up in the day-to-dayness of it all that we may actually miss the larger forces that are always at work shaping and molding uh, each of us. Uh, God can and God does use every bit of our lives, the formal and the informal education, the good and the hard times to make us into the people that God intends us to be, each of us. But we can spend so much of our time comparing ourselves to other men and women that we may actually miss our calling and the unique gift that God wants to give to the world in you and in me. So today we move on to another pivotal moment in Moses' journey. From Cecil B. DeMille in The Ten Commandments to Disney's The Prince of Egypt, Hollywood has always been fascinated with the story of the Exodus and especially the crossing of the Red Sea, the dramatic culmination of God's liberating of his people. You remember the details that went before this. Moses goes to Pharaoh and tells him, let my people go. And that is met with predictable resistance on Pharaoh's part, much like white slave owners in this country. Pharaoh does not want to part with the cheap labor that upholds his nation's economy. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, the story says. Power can do that to you. Money can do that as well. It can get inside of you and take control of you so that what becomes most important is no longer what the company stands for, but just the profit line. It can harden your heart and keep you from caring about what is best or what is most important, um, more than just preserving your retirement savings. But enough about us. (laughs) Back to Pharaoh. It took a lot to harden Pharaoh's heart. Plagues of locusts and an inundation of frogs. There was um, an epidemic among the cattle and the Nile River turned to, to blood and finally there was the death of his firstborn and all of the Egyptians, which of course ironically is exactly what he had ordered for the Hebrews. So a taste of his own medicine, I suppose. That's what it took to get Pharaoh to acknowledge that he was no match for a God like Yahweh, who wanted more for his people than simply to mix bricks in Egypt. So off they went. Um, 
marching out of Egypt on that first glorious day of their freedom. The bread didn't even have time to rise. Um, throwing pots and pans into the back of the U-Haul, tucked in with sleeping bags and maybe a change of clothes. Some of them are barefoot. Uh, there are animals carrying a few or pulling a few carts. There are children who are hoisted on the shoulder of their older brothers and sisters. They look like, they look all the world like a group of refugees heading out of war-torn Syria or a group of migrants heading north from Central or South America. One of the sad things about the political debates in our country today is that with all the talk about border walls and security, there is next to no mention of the fact that the Bible is abundantly clear. The children of God should always remember that we were refugees, always. And this is not a sideshow story. This is the most important story in all of the Old Testament. And so they, they leave behind a place where no one wants them anymore, where they are no longer welcome, and they set off for, for God knows where. <laughs> but they started. And it would be 40 years, which is the Bible's way of saying a long time, and there would be many adventures along the way. Sometimes they would look back and they would long for the good old days, which, of course, were anything but good. But at least you knew where your next meal was coming from or where you would wake up the next morning. It was only after a day or two's journey, however, that they met their first crisis. Israel had made it as far as Baal-Zephon, somewhere between Migdal and the Red Sea. Meanwhile, back in Egypt, Pharaoh began to realize what he had done. It felt like a hangover. <laughs> what a night, said Pharaoh. What did I do? On the one hand, because of the plagues, he couldn't wait to get rid of them. On the other hand, waking up that morning, he heard the wailing of all of the mothers of Egypt, a distinct counterpoint to the no construction underwear, underway anywhere. The Cairo Times before, read with the headline something about a government shutdown. No, no, no. The nation's economy was on the ropes, it said, with no labor force. So Pharaoh splashed some water on his face. He looked himself in the eyes. He immediately called the Joint Chiefs of Staff. We are after those slaves, plagues or no, he said. And soon they were in hot pursuit. They chased those freed slaves all the way to Migdal and were making their plans for an attack. With the Red Sea blocking the Hebrews' escape, this would be like target practice. In a matter of hours, the survivors would be in tow with chains around their necks and a dejected Moses leading them on the way back. But you know the story. How Moses, at Yahweh's command, raised his arm over the water 
and east wind rises and pulls back the sea so that it makes a wall on the left and a wall on the right. You've seen the movies. And with that, the Hebrew people go down into the banks of the sea and they cross over to the other side. Not since the Spirit of God had brooded over the face of the waters on the very first day of creation, had such magnificent power to command the wind and the waves been displayed. Not until Jesus himself commanded the waters of Galilee to be still and walked on the waves would such mastery of the water be seen again. But there, at the Red Sea, time and history came together in one of the most profound and unequivocal events to shape human history. As those first Israelites, those men and women, stepped out and stepped into a future not knowing where they went, putting their first foot onto that river's wet bed. It was no time at all, of course, before the Egyptians saw what was happening and they took off after those Hebrews, following right into the sea. Except that coming just that little bit later, as they did, and weighed down by their heavy chariots and armor, they started to get stuck. Wheels began to mire. And while they were in the thick of it, the waters began to move back. The cry went up from the midst of the sea. The Lord Yahweh is fighting for them. And we are as good as dead. Wave after wave engulfed them. And in just a short time, Egypt's crowning glory was wiped out. And after the drowning, the silence as the screen goes black. When the camera comes back up in focus on the other shore, there is the sound of birds in the background. An eerie contrast to the tragedy that is washing up on the shores. There are bodies everywhere, arms pulled out of their sockets, bloated bellies of soldiers lying face up. It's like Normandy for the Egyptians, and a sobering sight to see the cost of Israel's freedom. And so, in humility and thankfulness, Israel gives praise to God and stands in awe at the truth, there by the grace of God. There but by the grace of our God. And it is a terrible price to pay and a sobering thought. But so is always the way to the future, always paved with a price, the price of going forward, of stepping into a future that has no guarantees but only a promise. Before we leave this place, I suppose the Egyptians deserve a memorial of their own, don't they? Are they not God's people as well? But for today, we need to stay with the main story. 
to remind ourselves that at that moment when history hung in the balance, Israel took a fateful turn. It is that moment when the first Hebrews stepped onto that still moist sand, onto the bed of the Red Sea, with water on either side and only a promise that they might just make it if only they would try. It was that moment when they left dry land behind as they stepped out into that uncertainty where only God knows what will happen with their hearts pounding and up in their throats and tears of fear welling up in their eyes. Their hearts overruled their minds and they stepped forward. What does it take to do such a thing? To step into the future with no guarantees, but only a promise. God will go with you. Because this, of course, is the step that all of us must take at some point in our lives. Stepping out in faith. Not knowing exactly where you will go, but trusting that somehow God's hand will lead you, that God's love will support you. You get to a point in your life where you've been in the same job for a long time. It no longer brings you any joy or has no longer any prospect of advancement, or maybe both. Or maybe it's that after all these years, just making a fistful of money, you now want to do something that serves other people, that makes the world a better place. But it means a change in your life. It means risking for the sake of what you don't already have. And it means taking a first step. Or I think of uh, kids going off to college, leaving the security of a family who has always been there for them. It sounds so good at first, right? Independence and freedom. But then you actually get to school and you take that first exam, and let's just say you don't ace it. And the work begins piling up, and all of a sudden it occurs to you, I'm growing up, and they are busy dismantling the safety net underneath me, putting that first foot forward, and will it hold? Or maybe you're staring a divorce in the face. You've, uh, you've come a long way to accept the fact that you have to get out of this marriage. But there is this starting over and being single again. And the awkwardness of dating at this age. And all of the feelings of failure and not being able to keep a promise. And the kids maybe are angry and they're disappointed and there's nothing easy about it. So half the time you feel relieved, and the other half you feel depressed as you ride this emotional roller coaster. But you are putting the first steps forward. Maybe the stakes are higher. 
Maybe you're facing surgery on your way to having that tumor finally removed or the valves replaced. So you make the list of all the right things to ask the doctors and your friends insist that you have to stay optimistic. But it feels like a wilderness that you have to cross to get to the promised land. Or maybe it really is death at long last that you are coming to terms with, that uncertain step that every one of us has to make at some point, ready or not. In that final facing of the unknown future, each of us has to put a foot forward onto the moist sand of the uncertain, and we must take the first step. It's part of what it means to be people of faith to go where you must go, to do what you must do, knowing the price that is involved, but trusting God's promise that God will lead you, that God's love will sustain you. One thing is sure, neither life nor God gives us the option of going backwards. <laughs> I suppose in some ways, it is easier to take that step into an unknown future when you are young. At least that's what I tell myself as I get older. <laughs> but it is never easy. And the price and the risk, whatever the age, is often high. There is no promise, however, in living in the past. Only memories while in the future, there is always God and that wonderful Easter promise. The angel said, tell them I am going before them. I read recently a little article. It was about uh, Rosa Parks, who, of course, knew something about stepping out into the future with no guarantees. She was, of course, the woman who refused to give up her seat back in December of 1955. Writing about what she did back then, she said this. She said, people always say that I didn't give up my seat because I was tired. But that isn't true. I wasn't tired physically, or no more tired than I usually was at the end of a working day. I wasn't old, although some people have an image of me as being old then. I was 42. No, the only tired I was was tired of giving in. But you know, God can use just that much sometimes if that's all we got. It is not easy to set a people free, to set Israel free, to set a nation free founded in slavery, free. It is enough to set us free, though, you and me, if we will be brave and faithful enough to trust that God keeps his promises. So put your pack on your back. Put your fears behind you and step with faith 
into the moistened sand that is ahead. For there, just ahead on the other side, God promises to meet you.